You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Hour number two here from the Fargo studio. Again, between the railroad tracks and St. Mary's Cathedral downtown. Rachel Juvie is producing. Thanks again, Rachel. Appreciate it. Doing an awesome job. Boy, speaking of awesome, I hope you were listening last segment. We had Garrett Aberly and Patrick Sorrells, two seminarians for the Diocese of Fargo, talking about their and their discernment and what some of the great things that have been happening in their formation and some advice for people who might be discerning. So it was wonderful. And it's great to see those those young those young guys uh, going on. Now me, I, I'm in my 60s and I'm, I'm looking at a guy across the table here who's I'm, I'm sure he's much, he looks much younger than I am, but maybe, but maybe he's, he's, he said he's older than I am. But anyway, it's Deacon Bruce Dahl from uh, Nativity Catholic Church here in Fargo. Uh, welcome, Deacon. Well, thanks. It's nice to be here, Tim. You betcha. Speaking with a deacon, so Deacon Bruce Dahl. So tell me now, what, what class were you in? How, how many years have you been a deacon, I Well, guess? I've been right. a deacon for seven years. We were ordained in uh, 2015, and there were five of us in our okay. class. Awesome. That's great. So Deacon, you know, it's amazing. You know, I, I'm in the formation for permanent diaconate as well, and you know, it's it's amazing how you know, these how the stories happen. You know, but let's start. Let's just start back growing up. Your family, you know, school growing up, and maybe some some influences on your faith. Well, someone told me that God specializes in choosing unqualified people for His work, and I'm, I'm a good example of that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I actually grew up a Lutheran. Okay, and but actually a strong Lutheran mm-hmm. family. We mm-hmm. went to church every week, and my my mom read the Bible every day, and I was brought up with good Lutheran training. But about the time I graduated from high school, God uh, teamed up against me. <laughs> I'd say at the time I thought it was, but it really wasn't. I had a college roommate that was a lifelong Catholic, and um, he came to visit us in, during the summer at our lake cabin, and he said he had to go to Mass on Sunday. And I said, well, we usually go to this Lutheran church down the street, or down the, you know, by the lake there. And he, he said, well, that won't count, which sounded a little unusual to me, but I, you know, I you know, respected that. And he said he needed to go to a Catholic church. So I, went, I found a Catholic church by, by our lake cabin there and, and went to Mass with them. That was my first Mass. I suppose I was about 19 years old at the time. And I was really surprised about the Mass because, you know, they had a, an Old Testament reading, a New Testament uh, epistle, and a Gospel reading, just like we did in the Lutheran Church. They had a sermon or a homily. They prayed the basics, the same creed we prayed, and they, they prayed most of the Our Father. They didn't complete the end of it, but they got most of it in there. <laughs> Um, or at least took a little pause before yeah, they finished it, yeah. right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I went out of there feeling like, you know, this is pretty good church, you know, mm-hmm. pretty solid Christian church. Although I didn't run out to sign up for RCIA <laughs> at the time or anything. And about that same time, that next year in college, I um, was involved with a group where we do volunteer work. And I volunteered out at some place called Villa Nazareth. It was run by the Presentation Sisters. And when it was a... It was a a kind of a home for girls from junior high age from broken homes and they needed someone to help tutor them with their schoolwork. They were struggling in school and, and we'd go, I'd go there maybe once a week and in the evenings just help them with their homework. And I got to know a sister there named Sister Donna Jean. And I got to be good friends with her and I really had a different outlook on, on nuns at that time. I never really had been around uh, sisters uh, in the church and uh, she was very joyful very pleasant to be around, and it just felt really good about that, too. 
Well, then the next year, I saw this pretty young blonde on campus, and I thought <laughs> I'd ask her out for a date. And I took her out on it for a couple of dates, and I told my roommate, this Catholic roommate of mine, that you know I'm dating this beautiful blonde lady. And I told her, uh, told him her name, and he said, "Yeah, I know her. She's at the Newman Center all the time." And I thought, "Oh no, <laughs> now I've dated a Catholic." <laughs> and, uh, so this got, you know, then as we started dating more and started falling in love, it got to be a big issue for us because I was a happy Lutheran and she was a happy Catholic. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time, you know, studying each other's faith and uh, praying together and discerning God's will. And uh, uh, she might be small, but she's tough. And she's, uh, <laughs> she won the battle. So I ended up uh, becoming a Catholic. And um, I was really happy with the Catholic Church except for one issue. I had one issue with Catholic Church for about 30 years of being a Catholic, and that was Mary. I just couldn't understand why you would pray to Mary and ask for help when you could go right directly to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that was a big hurdle for me. I didn't want to have anything to do with the Marian devotions. Didn't want to pray the rosary. And this bothered my wife, but she didn't really push it. She was wise enough just to not to push it. But after about 30 years of being a Catholic, I read a book called Surprised by Truth, and they had conversion stories in there. And I read a conversion story of someone that sounded just like me, and he, he said that once he started praying the rosary, things changed. Things really came alive for him. So my wife was, that was out during a weekend, and she came home that weekend. She had been visiting her sisters. And I said, would you teach me how to pray the rosary? And did she fall over? She, she basically fell, she started to cry. Mm. And she said, she's been praying for 30 years for me that I'd be wanting to pray the rosary. So she taught me to pray the rosary, and from that day on, we've prayed the rosary every day since, and that's you know about 20 years ago now. But once I started praying the rosary, things started to happen. Then I started going to daily mass, learning more about the church fathers, started taking classes on the Catholic Church, EPS classes, and after four years of those classes, I ended up uh, in deacon formation. <laughs> So that's kind of the story. Interesting. We're talking with Deacon Bruce Dahl about his his uh, story. And everyone is unique. God works in amazing ways. And many times through our friends, through our spouses, and all these types of things. And uh, it, it's, it's just great to see uh, how God, just in his own time, in his own way, you know, just continues to call us closer, you know, continues to call us closer. Um, just a couple of things. I, I, I don't think I missed which college you went to, Deacon Bruce. I was at uh, North Dakota State University, okay. and uh, I got uh, entered in the church there at the Newman Center. So the near, Newman Center is near and dear to my heart. Yeah, okay, wonderful. Yeah, and we got a, got a big new building up yeah, there on the corner nice. of the University and 12th, absolutely. So what, what did you major in? Well, um, I um, started out in electrical engineering. I thought for sure I was going to be an electrical engineer, but the first quarter of the, my school year, or the first year, they had an introduction to engineering, and I thought, no, that's not really what I want to do. And I ended up deciding to go into the me uh, medical field, and mm -hmm. so I, t I took pre-med classes and uh, ended up uh, you know, graduating from NDSU and then, go and then going on to N uh, Uni University of North Dakota Medical School. And then after that, I did a residency through the university in family medicine and then practiced medicine for 36 years in West Fargo. And about the same time, I, I retired in... Uh, uh, June of 2015, and in October of 2015, I was ordained a deacon. So I got a major job promotion. I went from working with bodies that don't last that long to working with souls that last forever. 
Ah, I like that. That's a good way to put it. That's for family medicine you were for 36 yes, years. Yeah, that, yeah. That's wonderful. What a great profession. And did God bless you and your wife with any children, Deacon Bruce? Yeah, we were very, you know, we were blessed with uh, three sons and uh, a daughter. And they it were real, another special blessing, they all live in town. And uh, they, uh, and they, we have 14 grandchildren and 10 of them are in the Catholic, Fargo Catholic Schools Network at this time. And, wow. and all our kids went through the Fargo Catholic Schools Network, too, so that's been a great blessing for us as well. Isn't it, though, you know, as I get older, I realize the blessing of having family close, you know, and, boy, to have all your four, all your four children here close and, and, and grandchildren, you know, in, in the network, that, that, that's got to that's gotta feel good to have that close-knit extended family as well. Right. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I'm kind of curious, Deacon, we got a few minutes before the break here. So... As you were going through, what was really the impetus that started you thinking that maybe I should, maybe I'm being called to become a deacon? Well, I just felt a desire to learn more and more about the faith. And then mm-hmm. working as a family physician, I had the desire always to try to help people. Mm-hmm. And I thought the diaconate would tie in some of my experience with being a family physician and also my interest in in. In God, I've always had a desire, a holy desire, a desire for God, even though, you know, even though it's been a long journey. And uh, someone said, you live your life forward and understand it backwards. I look back on my life now, I see that a lot of people that, you know, had an impact to direct me to becoming a deacon, even though it really wasn't on the radar at all for many, many years. Yeah, you know, neither was mine. And and my wife was actually the one that kind of brought it up to me. You know, she was probably the main, says, have you ever thought about this and discerned this? And so we started praying about it and talking about it. So, you know, long story short, I'm I'm in formation now. And by the way, I really appreciate every time I see you, you know, you know how how the evil one will work, you know, and, and, and try to defeat us, you know, and try, try to bring us down, as you know, if, through formation, maybe even sometimes in your ministry. But you're always so supportive, Deacon, and saying, we're praying for you every day. We pray for the team. You know, we, we, we pray for the candidates. And, and I really appreciate that because that prayer is so important. Um, did you experience some, you know, some difficulty, some doubt going through the diaconate formation? There's no doubt about it, and that's one advice I'd give to all of the listeners here. Anytime you try to draw closer to God, be prepared for a, an attack from Satan. Mm-hmm. Anytime I've gone to a retreat, you know, I feel really good at the retreat. I'm kind of isolated from the world, and I'm feeling like I'm just on the mountaintop. When it, invariably, the first day or two after I get back from the treat, retreat, everything seems to, you know, <laughs> work, situation, everything... It seems like Satan just tries to derail us after that. And, and in formation, it's really intense that way. In fact, I, during my first part of the diaconate, I decided I was going to quit. I called my spiritual director and said, I'm, I'm quitting. He said, well, you better come in at noon. We'll talk about it. Well, that morning, I went downstairs and uh, met somebody from the t- well, I saw somebody from the team, and they said, we're so happy that you're going to be- become a deacon in our church. We've just been talking about it. We're so happy. And I said, well, I just quit. And she said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. I, I felt so guilty like I let her down that I changed my mind. I called my spiritual director back and said that uh, I'm in. So I talked to one of the students that was just getting ready to graduate that next weekend. I saw him. I was feeling guilty about it. It was just him and I and his wife and my wife. And I said, did you ever feel like quitting during the diaconate formation? He said, yeah, three times. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something? And, and I, I can tell you, I... I 
I, I think everyone, I, I know I've experienced those doubts too, you know, myself, but the, the great thing is, is you hit the nail on the head. Anytime you try to draw closer to God, Satan's going to do that. But that's where prayer, perseverance, and isn't it interesting how God sends these people, right? Right as you're going to quit. So like, We're so glad you're going to become a deacon. It's like, okay, Catholic guilt, and off you go. But but that's wonderful. So when we come back after the break, we're going to continue our, our interview with Deacon Bruce Dahl from Nativity Catholic Church. More about formation and more about his ministry since formation. And God has always uses people in a special way, and he's got a very special ministry that God has given to him that we're going to talk about. You're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be back right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo Di Filippis of St. Luke Productions. Belief in the personal God. This saying, I believe, is a conscious act of the self an act in which the will and the understanding, the teaching and the guidance I have been given are all cooperatively involved. This act comprehends the trusting or, if you like, reaching out, transcending our own limits, turning toward God. And this act is not just a matter of relating to some higher power or other, but to the God who knows me and who speaks to me. In that sense, he is someone who can speak and who can listen. That, I think, is what is essential about God. Nature can be marvelous. The starry heaven is stupendous. But my reaction to that remains no more than an impersonal wonder because that, in the end, means that I am myself no more than a tiny part of an enormous machine. The real God, however, is more than that. He is not just nature, but the one who came before it and who sustains it. And the whole of God, so faith tells us, is the act of relating. That is what we mean when we say that he is a trinity, that he is threefold. Because he is in himself a complex of relationships, he can also make other beings who are grounded in relationships and who may relate to him because he has related them to himself. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Tim Mosier, your host today for Real Presence Live. We're speaking with a deacon, Deacon Bruce Dahl, permanent deacon for the Catholic Church. He shared us a story about growing up Lutheran, a good Lutheran family. He met a, a guy in college that kind of poked him to kind of investigate the Catholic Church. And then unbeknownst to him, dating this beautiful woman here that he met at NDSU, she was Catholic as well. Long story short, he converted to the Catholic faith and had a struggle with Mary. Didn't pray the rosary for many years and uh, was reading the book um, 
surprised by truth. Yeah, exactly. And thanks, thanks, Deacon. I appreciate that. And anyway, I found out a story that was pretty much like his. It says, once you start praying the rosary, everything changes. He asked his wife if he, if he, if he, she would teach him how to pray. It was a very powerful moment in their marriage, and they've been praying the rosary daily since. And and that's a wonderful gift. So anyway, that, that that's a great story, Deacon. I appreciate it. Is there anything else uh, in, in formation at all that, that you would like to touch on? Yeah, and I think it's something that would help everybody. Mm-hmm. And that is the first year of formation. It was basically a year teaching us about the importance of prayer, prayer and how to pray. A lot of people think you just pray, you just go out and pray. But it's like telling a person, just go out and play the piano without telling them, where to put your fingers on the keys and how to read music. Mm-hmm. You need some basic instructions in prayer and then go out and pray. And that's what we did the first year. And we learned a lot about the importance of listening. My prayers before that were like 80 to 90% me telling God what I wanted him to do for me. Mm-hmm. After, this, after this formation and that, we learned the presence of just listening to God, spending more time listening. And uh, Monsignor Sleshman encouraged us all to spend an hour a day in adoration in front of the tabernacle or in front of the monstrance of the pressure spot. And that has become a habit for me. And we're so blessed here in, in, in Fargo to have Our Lady of Guadalupe Adoration Chapel. It's probably one of the finest adoration chapels in the country. Yeah. And I find that that's a spiritual goldmine for me. I go there, and it just helps to recharge the battery. You know, we're all under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress, and we need time to recharge. And I think so often we're not... You know, doing that, we're not taking time to pray, and that is the the key of the spiritual life is to pray. Mm, so true, and I, I can echo that, Deacon. You you put it so well. And when talking about Monsignor Schlesselman, of course, he's the, the chief formator. He he head of the program. I still remember his his one liner. Got a lot of good one liners, but one of them is. Have you asked Jesus what he thinks about this? <laughs> like you said, we're talking, talking, Lord, and blah, blah, blah. Have you asked Jesus what he thinks and then listen, right? So the importance of listening is so good. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. And everyone can use that, not, not just deacon formation, but that is one great thing I have learned as well. I would like to echo that. How about, how about ordination? Was there anything uh, that sticks out to you about the ordination itself, deacon? One thing, I got some advice on ordination day that's been very helpful for me, you know, in my years of the diaconate. That is... I was, the five of us were in the back of the cathedral and, and quite nervous, you know, we're getting ready to go up and, and a very holy priest saw that we were pretty nervous back there and he came up to us and he said, I want to tell you some advice, gentlemen. He said, 90% of the spiritual life is just showing up and you showed up. Mm. So don't worry. So each, that stuck with me and each morning before I get my, before I get out of bed, before I get my feet on the floor, First, I wake up and realize I'm still alive. I thank God that I'm alive. <laughs> yep. And then I, then I say, Lord, I want to show up for you today. Mm-hmm. I want to show up for you today. Teach me what your will is to do, what what's you want me to do. Help me to do it. And then I ask a blessed mother to just guide me along, to, mm-hmm. to, to turn my life over during the day to her. And just kind of, it only takes maybe 50, 60 seconds, but it frames the day and a good start. That is such great advice, Deacon. I, I love the, the it, it's simple but profound, right? Show up, you know, and you say, Lord, I want to show up for you. That is so good. It's, it's a morning offering, really, in, in short, right? Just right. showing a friend. And then, of course, asking Blessed Mother to, to intercede and lead. That That is wonderful. Great advice for everyone, and I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that if that's right. That's I'll I'll t- be telling people years from now. I got some great advice from a permanent deacon when I was interviewing him on the radio. <laughs> Just show up, show up for Jesus. That's good. Well, since ordination, then deacon, let's talk a little bit about that now. Um, what have been uh, what have been some of the joys of of ministry for you? 
since your ordination as a permanent deacon? Well, I, I thank God basically daily how thankful I am that I've had an opportunity to be ordained into the diaconate. You know, like I said, I didn't start out even being a Catholic. So I feel like it's been a great blessing, and I appreciate that, and I try to show God that I do appreciate it. But I still go with the theory of just showing up and realizing that I can really do nothing, absolutely nothing by myself. So mm -hmm. I just try to turn everything over to God and realize I can't do it. But he can. And, uh, and I really learned this once, uh, when my first, one of my first years of diaconate is, the second Christmas that I was a deacon, we had a priest from uh, Father David Michael, nice priest from India, but he didn't like to give homilies that much, and uh, he liked me to do it, but I never thought he'd do this. It was Christmas Day, you know, one of the bigger masses of that church, about five minutes before uh, the mass was going to start. He said, Deacon, I've been saying a lot, doing a lot of masses and stuff during Christmas. Now, why don't you give the homily today? <laughs> and now I guess got terrified. But I remembered what something to someone told me once. They said, if God calls you on a journey, he'll provide the lunch. And I thought, I didn't volunteer to give the homily. I didn't, you know, right. arrogantly say, I'm going to give the homily. And then just, but I said, guy, I felt God called me to do it. So my grandson was an altar server that day. And I, I I said, Joe, go down, go out to church and tell your mom and your grandma to start praying for me because I'm supposed to give the homily here at Mass in five minutes. <laughs> and I don't remember ever listening to the readings as much as I did during that, but <laughs> really focused. And to this day, I don't know what I said. But after the Mass, a couple of things happened. Uh, the liturgist said, Deacon, I want to tell you something. That's the first time I've seen you give a homily when you haven't seemed nervous. <laughs> and then there was a lady at the end of the Mass, this in her 70s, came up and said, I want to tell you, that, that was the best Christmas homily that I've ever heard. Now, I'm not saying this to brag because, because it wasn't me. I had no way of preparing that. It wasn't me. So that taught me to trust God, to trust, to turn it over to God. If he calls you to do something, you have to trust that he'll give you the grace to do it and just do it, even though it might be scary. It's kind of the leap of faith. But that really helped my confidence to know that God will help me in these situations he calls me to. We're talking with Deacon Bruce Dahl here about his uh, his journey to the diaconate and now his ministry in the diaconate. That is such a powerful story, Deacon. I just, I just want to highlight two or three things that was so good. The first thing is that you sent your grandson out to start praying. Prayer. You had this bathe in prayer right away. Awesome. That was such a great call, right? Because now we're preparing, right? They're praying. Your heart's prepared. And like you said, listening. And then just allowing the Holy Spirit. I like the fact you have no idea what you said because you allowed the Holy Spirit just to, okay, Holy Spirit, here we go. And you open your mouth and he, he had the words. That's such a great example for all of us, Deacon. And, and I'm glad that's had a great, great uh, you know, impact in your life as well. Um, any other studies or Bible things or anything you've done that, that, that really kind of hits you? Well, I was asked to give a, I worked in, you know, as I said, as a family doctor for right. a lot of years. Mm -hmm saw a lot of suffering physically mm -hmm. and I was a deacon I, you hear stories from people that are suffering you know both physically and spiritually so I, I did study on suffering because suffering is inevitable for everybody like uh, one of my instructors in the diaconate formation Dick, uh, deacon uh, Didier he said in life suffering is mandatory misery is optional mm -hmm. and I uh so I did a, a study. I did give a talk to a ladies group and put the study together. And that's been really, I don't know if it helped anybody else, 
but it really helped me to get a better understanding of suffering. Suffering is really not the enemy, sin is, but yet we have a great fear in, in our culture for suffering, but basically no fear of sin. Mm -hmm. I like that. So I put, uh, you know, study, it's probably 35, 40 pages. And if any of you would like to read that, you can just email me at that uh, diocese email address, and I'll email you a digital copy if you'd like to read it. But it, we all experience suffering, and it might be some help to you to help understand. It's a mystery, and, and uh, but it's uh, sometimes it can be a really opportunity to grow in our faith as well. I love, again, I, I'm just taking little nuggets from what you're saying, Deacon. It's so good. I love what you said about... Um, sin and suffering. You, see, you know, people try to avoid suffering at all costs. And, you know, I, I, you know, we don't have to be masochists about it, but you said we do, you know, as a culture, right, we don't avoid sin. And, and that's it. Th th there's a choice, sin or suffering. I mean, if, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And that makes such perfect sense. Why are we so afraid of suffering and, and not afraid of sin, which causes the suffering? Really. Well, sin always draws us away from God. Yep. Where suffering can go both ways. It can. Some people go through suffering and they reject God, but there's a lot of people that go through suffering that really grow a lot yeah, closer yeah, to God. Exactly. We have, to, we have the choice. Exactly. Deacon, let's talk a little bit about this ministry that a lot of people have really benefited from, this the Men of the Cross. Tell us how that came about and what this ministry is about. Well, basically, the God, like I said, God knows I'm incompetent and need a lot of help, so he's really helped me in this Men, men of the Cross ministry. I was given a gift at ordination of, of St. Benedict Crucifix. It's about two inches or so long. And um, I thought, I'm a deacon now. I, sh I'm, I'm a, I should wear this. A deacon. Uh, so I start, but I, was, I have to admit, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, I was a little bit apprehensive about wearing a cross. I thought maybe I'm not used to wearing this jewelry type stuff. And what are people going to think? I don't want to look like some sort of a saint out there. But I wore it. And after six months, I realized three things. One, I was more aware of Christ's presence. I prayed more. Second thing, it made me aware of how I acted in public because I've identified myself as a disciple of Christ when I have this on. So people see that. So if I act like a jerk, they'll say, I know those Christians are a bunch of jerks. Looks the way he's acting. The third thing, it, it opened the door to evangelize. People would see that I had a cross on and they knew that they could talk to me about religion. So people would come up to me and ask me you know, to pray for a family member or thank me for wearing a cross and not being embarrassed to admit that I'm a Christian. That's so great. And, and the ministry started out very simply, but it's basically a wearing and sharing kind of ministry, right? Talk right, about yeah. that. Well, uh, Janelle Shanlack, a lot of you people know, she was with Real Presence Radio. She saw me wearing the crucifix one day and, and she said, oh, I like your crucifix. And I, she, I said, yeah, a lot of people tell me that. And she said, what do, they, what do you do when they tell me you like your crucifix? And I said, I thank them. And she said, no, Deacon, that's not what you do. And I said, what do I do, Janelle? She said, you just take it off and give it to them. And I thought, well, that's a little radical. I've been wearing this for six months. It's an ordination gift. I don't so I went and bought another one and put it in my pocket. The next person that came up, I gave him one. And I told him that story. He went and bought one put it in his pocket. I went and bought another one and put it in my pocket. And before you know it, we had about 20, 30 guys around church wearing them. And, uh, and now don't you have 20 or 20,000, We have 20,000 right? people now wearing them around the wow. country. And, and it just kind of by... We have no uh, social media, no Facebook or web page. It's just a one-on-one -on -one evangelization, evangelization the old-fashioned way. That is amazing. Deacon Bruce Dahl, thank you for sharing your story with that. I appreciate it. And God bless you in your ministry. Thank you. All right. Up next, Emily Stimson Chapman. We'll be back right after this. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.